Thanks for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. If grace changes everything, does that mean it will change our friends, co-workers, our in-laws? This past week at The Gathering, we wondered how grace can transform our relationships and our community. The band performed songs by The Beatles, Beck, U2 and Corey Asbury. Let's have a listen.
Get some water. Hey, wait your turn, boy. You cool with what? Crap. Gary, you're Julius. Let's get some particulars and just get this over with, all right? Particulars? Yeah. No matter what I tell you, you ain't gonna never know nothing about hey, me. Hey, listen, I ain't running any more of these three days, okay? Well, what I got to say, you really don't wanna hear, cause honesty ain't too high up on your people priority list, right? Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly, I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. Shiver push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them, pull them, do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a waste? You the captain, right? Right. Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a You've job. You been doing your job? I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev better? Because they have not blocked for him worth a plug nickel, and you know it. Nobody plays, yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. See, man. That's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. Whew. 
Anybody else's adrenaline just spike when they watch Remember the Titans, right? It's just like, oh yeah, let's hit somebody. Um, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, thought, I, thought, um, I thought things were supposed to slow down in the summer. Is that not how it's supposed to work, right? Like, man, it went by fast. It's not only, it's not only August right now, it's mid-August. It might as well be Christmas, right? They should like, you start getting the Christmas presents out, let's put the tree out. It's nice out, so let's put the, the lights on the house. Um, the other day, Allie called August the Sunday scaries of summer. Uh, you know that feeling on Sunday nights when the day is coming to an end and you realize that not only do you have to wake up tomorrow, but the terrifying reality of your week begins to set in and reveal itself and then this paralyzing panic kicks in. Uh, August is that for the, whole, for the whole year, it feels like, right? The entire month of August feels like that in our home because like I assume for many of you, September is the starting gun for the whole next year. Right, everything starts over in September, and now there's this new wrinkle because this big guy, this big guy, starts Brown Elementary School in the fall, which is wild. He had a good summer, so did we. It's been great, but that's obviously I'm very jealous of that. Um, he also started football this month, which is wild. He's five years old and occupies three days of our week. Wow, Sunday scaries. Um, it seems even heavier in this season of transition and addition uh, with Allie and I bringing home a new, a new baby girl, which has been really, really fun. But now that Quinn is in the mix, it's just hard to see the forest through the trees sometimes, right? And we, and we know we won't feel this way forever, right? This is a season, it's temporary, but it just feels like everyone is getting sea work for me these days. Like, I'm doing my absolute best, and my absolute best is like a 72%. And it just, it just feels like constantly I'm disappointing people or I'm sending texts and emails every single day. It feels like I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to respond to this, but, right? Or my personal favorite, which is, hey, I double booked. Can we reschedule? Like, it feels like that's just on copy and paste all the time. Um, some of my closest friends I'm just ignoring right now which is hard, that text will come through like, hey, what's up? How are you? Do you wanna play video games tonight? And I, I don't wanna disappoint them and tell them no, so I just don't say anything and I respond three days later with a facepalm emoji, which is probably still disappointing, right? <laughs> like, um, I'm not, <laughs> even that's not a win. Um, I'm just in one of those seasons where it seems like life just requires a lot of grace. Um, and with that being said, we'll see where this morning takes us, right? Because it could get really funky um, or clunky, to say the least, if this morning is any indication of that. So um, we kicked off a new series last week. Uh, Mike told me on Tuesday that this series could be anywhere from four to 12 talks. So I guess it's a little bit of choose your own adventure. Um, and maybe it's going to end here this morning. But... <laughs> What I, love about, what, do I, what I love about this community, right, is that with as much purpose and intention and energy that we put into all the different elements, the outcome is always really, really surprising and really, really beautiful. And a great example of that is like, we do not have the main speakers this morning. I don't know if you can tell that, but we are coming out of the monitors that the band is supposed to be using to listen to what they're doing. So it's just, it's just a beautiful community that rallies around itself and comes together and says, how can we make this work, and it's always beautiful and always surprising. So that being said, the thesis statement for the next four to 52 weeks will be grace, will be grace changes everything. So then maybe that should be the next bumper sticker, right? Like GCE, because um, we can't be clear. We've got questions. Um, but essentially, what will we be doing in asking the question, how does grace change, it, change blank? How does grace change our marriage? How does grace change our wealth? How does grace change faith and parenting and death and suffering and politics? How does grace change that whistle? <laughs> because if grace changes everything, there's an endless number of variables that we could consider. So, so if you want to chime in, if you're like, man, how does grace change X, Y, or Z, we want to hear from you. So shoot us a note, uh, and you really never know what could happen. So uh, this morning, I want to hone in on how grace can specifically transform 
our relationships and our communities. So this isn't a series necessarily about specifically religious or spiritual things, but a conversation about how the spirit of grace can transform every part of our lives. So one of the things I love about Storyline is that a wide variety of thoughts are represented in this group, right? I've had the privilege to sit with many of you, or maybe you've had the privilege to sit with me. Um, and it's just such a, it's such a beautiful mosaic of people, of origin stories um, that are sitting in this room. It's, it's, it really is incredible. So many faith traditions within the Christian faith and outside of it are, are sitting in this room this morning. And I believe it's one of our greatest assets that we come to the table with such a diversity of thought, especially in a culture that seems to be sectioning off, right? And in a society that is seeming to value like-mindedness higher than connection or history. Storyline has somehow managed to survive nearly 20 years now with that diversity of thought remaining as one of our core values. Maybe you remember a word from a series a couple years back. Uh, it's a big word, circumambulation. We did a series specifically on that word as three or four talks a couple years back. Um, really, really good stuff. But uh, imagine a totem pole is situated right in the middle, like right where Jim Monroe is right here uh, in the middle of the room, right? And we're all turned to face it. It's in the center of the room. We, we would get a very different perspective from each person sitting in this room on what that totem pole is and what it looks like, right? When then we can only fully understand what the totem pole is and what it means and what it looks like when we hear from every single perspective. So some might be right close, right up next to it, and they may be able to describe every explicit detail. But if they're not standing all the way back, they're gonna miss the size and the scope of it and maybe what all those details are trying to represent. And so if we don't hear from every perspective in the room, we're gonna miss out on the totality of what that totem pole represents, right? We, we would need each other to see the whole thing. But if we don't all share the need and the desire to consider everyone's perspective, then we may miss the purpose of the totem pole entirely. That seems fairly familiar, right? We tend to believe that perception is reality, which is absolutely true, right? It's true for ourselves. My perception is my reality. But if that's true for me, and if it's true for you, then it has to be true about others as well, right? What isn't, al what isn't always true is that we're sitting in the same seat and have that same perspective. So organizing a, si a society then becomes both paramount and really, really challenging on who has the ultimate perspective, who has the best view of the totem pole. It's why monarchies and dictatorships and authoritarian styles of government are so efficient and effective, right? There's only one way to think. There's only one set of values to consider, and there's only one person to make all of those decisions. It's quick and it's efficient, but it leaves, it leaves people behind, or worse, it plows them right over. Living life together is really, really difficult. It's really hard. It's hard in the context of a family system, nonetheless a tribe or an organization, a church. But living life together, sharing our perspective, not with a mission to change people's minds, but only to enhance their perspective, that can be really, really good. With or without, right? That seems to be the choice. How do I live with you? Because it sure doesn't seem like I can live without you and vice versa. Sometimes it just feels like living life alongside each other is impossible as well.
Thank you, Sinai. Um, you know, I'm probably not the best person to be talking about this or teaching on it, right? I'm, I'm one of the most difficult people that I know to live with. Uh, I'm not patient. I'm always right. And I easily get frustrated when I'm not heard. And usually, I just ignore or avoid people and do what needs to be done by myself. The other day, I asked Allie what three words she would use to describe me. You know, typical date night conversation if you're hoping to have a good time. And she said, uh, she said, number one, she said, wise. I said, okay, I'll take it. Off to a good start. And then she said, stubborn, which is fine. Everyone's wrong from time to time. <laughs> and then she said, boyish. Essentially, as far as 13-year-olds go, you're the wisest one, is what I heard. Um, <laughs> What an interesting perspective, right? But she is right. She's right because no one knows me better than her. No perspective on my life is more true or more valuable, no matter how resistant I want to be to that reality. What three words would you use to describe yourself, right? Now turn to the person next to you and ask, no, please don't do that. Um, no, I don't, no fisticuffs this morning. Why is it so hard and so dangerous to ask others what they think about us? It's scary. It's so scary, and that's because it matters. Sometimes the perspective of the people who love me the most are the most difficult to grasp because deep down I know they're right. I am stubborn. And you know what? I'm boyish too, and I, I will likely always have a little bit of that Peter Pan in me. And I'm so grateful for my wife's perspective on my life because for 12 years she's slogged through the muck and the mire to learn how to love me just as I am. And I found that I'm more willing, I found that the more willing I am to hear the perspective and the story of another person, the easier it is to find connection with them. We all have an origin story. We all have a point from which we start from. And each one of those points is very unique 
and it's, it's individual and it's yours. It's why we are the way that we are. No two people in this room are exactly alike. However, I believe that there is this common thread that does connect all of us, because at the most fundamental level, right, we are all just a similar community of cells that are meticulously weaved together to make us, us. Now you've heard me dissect the creation narrative a couple different times here at Storyline. I love this story, but I always think that there's something new and interesting when we, we return to our original collective origin. So if you'll indulge me, indulge me for just a moment, I do want to go into that Genesis 1 uh, story. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he saw that in the formless and in the emptiness that there was room for more. And so he separated the light from the dark, and then he called it good. And then he separated the water from the other water, and he called the space in between sky. And then he called that good. And then he brought land out of the water and he filled it with plants and mushrooms and grass and weeds and he called that good too. And then he created the sun and the moon and the stars and he filled the sky with light and that was good. And then he filled the waters and the sky with creatures, birds and fish and snakes and mosquitoes that were all unique to themselves and he called them good too. And then on the sixth day, he made animals that walk on the land, each unique according to their kind. And then the Bible says this. This is verse 27. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Did you catch the pronoun shift there? Let us make mankind in our image. Let us make mankind in our image. It's an incredibly important detail that I think often gets missed here. Our is a collective pronoun, plural pronoun. It's not by accident that we find it here in the first sentences of the Bible. There's this concept in Christianity uh, called the Trinity. It's, 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 it's very difficult to explain because it's like, well, is there three gods or is there one God? Both. Um, it implies that there's three unique persons of God. There's the wise, the stubborn, and the boyish version, right? Um, and they're moving and they're operating as one. This would be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's in their community. It's them coming together as one that our origin story takes root. I like to think of it as a dance. I like to th think of it as these three personas, these three personalities dancing in one rhythm to one song together. And out of that dance, just like what happens when we dance, joy is present. And it's out of that joy that we are made in the likeness of God. And that life is the ultimate gift of grace. Your life is the product of the joy of God. That is the gift of grace that is for all of us. Let us make mankind in our image. From the get-go, God intended us to see with his divine eyes. He used a recipe that was shaped and flavored with a heavy dose of his image so that not only will we be peacekeepers in this world, right, that we would shepherd and foster this land and this earth well, but that we would do it with his vision in mind, that we would see with his eyes and that we see his intention for the world and be co-creators within it. In chapter two of Genesis, we get a very, very different glimpse of this moment when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they come to create humanity. Chapter two says this, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. I do a little grammar here. The Hebrew word for man uh, in, this, in this particular verse is the combination of two Hebrew words. Um, the first one being the word dam, which means blood, and another word that means human, which is adama, which means earth or ground or soul. So dam and adama, they come together to form the word man here. And how do we pronounce that? We pronounce it adam or adam, as it's more commonly known. So Adam literally is translated here as one who breathes. So God creates man out of dust. And what defines 
What, a, what human being is, what an Adam is, it's breath. So this word can then be, tra- so like I said, this word can be translated as one who has breath. So that's what you and I share. The thing that connects all of us is this origin story as Adam, as the one who has breath. This is our original blessing, right? This is the starting line, the beginning. Yeah, we screwed it up. We ended up creating more chaos, but in order to return to the order, in order to return to the good, we have to remember where we started. God, as God's image bearers, as the ones who breathe. It's this original goodness originating from a community of grace and joy that I believe connects and unites us all. How you doing, son? He ain't all right. He all right? He's, uh, how's he doing? Not too good. Not too good. No, how's he doing? How bad is it? How bad is it? He's paralyzed from the waist down. Don't say that to me. Don't say that to me. Sorry, Mr. Dear. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He doesn't want to see anybody but you, Julius. Yes, ma'am. You are strong. Yes, ma'am. Those tears are not going to make my boy walk again. Only Ken's allowed in here. Alice? Are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? That's my brother. You should see my Camaro. Man, I sure am sorry, man. I should have been there with you. What are you talking about? You would have been in the bed right next to me. You can't be hurt like this. afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of. And I don't know, I was only hating my brother. <laughs> i tell you what, though. Um, when all this is over, and you're gonna move out the same neighborhood together. Okay, and, um, we will get old, we will get fat. There ain't gonna be all this black-white between us. <laughs> Left side. Strong side. Powerful moment, right? How powerful, how impactful, how strong is our fear? Julius, I was afraid of you. How often do we let our fear stop us? How often do we let it get in the way because we're scared of what could happen? We tell ourselves stories and we make assumptions rooted in other assumptions, but, but fear is the mind killer. If grace is the engine, then fear is sugar in the gas tank. It stalls us and it breaks us down. I'm most fearful when I'm in transition, mostly because I'm obsessed with control. I always have a plan. I always know what's going to happen next. And so when I don't, I spiral. I start looking over my shoulder and assuming everyone is watching me, waiting for me to fall or fail. I become avoidant. I isolate myself. And then I get angry. 
But when we push past and we push through our fear, we can more easily see the people in our lives as assets and partners rather than as obstacles, as enemy. I love that line, we're gonna, we're gonna get fat together. <laughs> like, isn't that just a beautiful image of what the neighborhood of God is meant to look like? Fear separates and isolates while grace connects and informs. When I was in the final months of seminary, one of the last things we had to do was, was spend a week together on campus. Um, my program was primarily online, and so for seven years, all my peers were these little profile pictures next to their 500-word bi-weekly discussion posts. That's all I knew about them. But during that week, uh, we got to know each other. We got to spend time together. And one of the assignments was to present five minutes um, on anything related to God and the human condition, which is a really fun opportunity for a bunch of seminary students because we're like, okay, we get to show off a little bit here. Um, and I did some bit on connecting like apples in the garden to an iPhone, like the Apple iPhone. And it's one of those things that sounded way better in my head than it did out loud. Um, anyways, <laughs> near the end of that time, uh, one of our classmates, I think he was one of the last to go, uh, he had been kind of isolating himself all week um, and he spent his five minutes talking about the image of God, similar to how I'm speaking about it now. And at the end of the presentation, he put a very large picture of a well-known political figure on the screen. And he asked, took a second to let us all take it in, and he asked, do you see the image of God? And then he sat down. That was the end of his time. My kind of guy. Right, just drop the mic. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he had us all squirming in his seat. This was a wildly unpopular person. And the conclusion I came to as I sat there and I stared at that image was no. I don't see the image of God in them. And the reason why is because I didn't see the image of God or didn't see the image of myself in them. It's easy to believe in a God who values what I value and thinks the way that I think. And because I believe I was made in the image of God, then God must look and act and think and believe just like me. So therefore, anyone who doesn't fit that mold obviously isn't reflecting the image of God. What did we say earlier? If it's true about me, why isn't it true about everyone else? If I can believe that I've received the gift of God's grace, his likeness reflected in my nature, then I have to believe it about them as well. Adolf, Osama, Barack, Donald, Bo, Quinn, Mike, Paul, you. By default, we are all made in the image of God. It's each of our origin stories. And I'm not trying to say that there isn't absolute evil in this world, because there's absolutely evil in this world that wants to destroy and wants to exclude, but that evil is microscopic in comparison to the greater goodness that is inherent in all of us, that was breathed into each of us from the very beginning. That's the gift of grace. We know we see the image of God in ourselves when we begin to see it in other people, especially those that we don't agree or connect with. We not only begin to see the image of God in others, but the image of ourselves as well. We realize that others struggle the way we struggle. They fear the way that we fear, and they love the way that we love. This is how grace can transform relationships in our communities and our world.
It's unfortunate product placement. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been so much easier to just find a sixth able-bodied friend to play three on three with? It, it probably would have been easier, certainly, maybe more enjoyable. But instead, in this beer commercial, these friends, they chose to deny themselves what was fun and easy for what was hard and painful and uncomfortable, but was really, really good. Think about the hours they would have had to spend learning how to use a wheelchair and shoot from it. These are not skills that would come naturally. They would have had to have been developed. This group of guys chose to look outside of themselves and asked, who isn't here yet? Right? This is exactly what we get to do when we say yes to the life of faith and the gospel of grace that God intended, intends for all of us. The gift of grace is the transforming opportunity to extend grace, meaning we get to seek out and discover and include the lost because we were once lost. I love this commercial. This inclusive grace looked like strapping themselves into a wheelchair and letting go of everything they knew to be normal and comfortable about the game of basketball, but by doing so, brought their friend into a world of belonging. Not, not where he's just in the gym, right? He's not just in the gym watching the game and going to hit the pub after with the guys. No, they literally learned a whole new sport so that he could be included. That is radical inclusion. And in the same vein that Jesus included the drunkard and the prostitute and the lame, the poor and the rich, the thieves and the shepherds and the demon-possessed, we are meant to extend that same margin of grace within our communities and neighborhoods and spheres of influence. Not because it's clean and comfortable, but because it's necessary. If we as God's creation are, are meant to reflect the image of God, then maybe, just maybe, in order to see him completely, in order to see the full picture of who God is, then maybe it's going to take all 7.8 billion of us. And so when we see suffering and debt and pain and loss, we extend grace first. In the Jewish faith tradition, there's this common pursuit called tikkun olam, it's this idea that followers of Yahweh or, or God are meant to pursue and foster the restoration of all things, right? Maybe, you, maybe you're thinking of that verse in Revelation where God says, behold, I make all things new. That's what, this, that's what Tekum Olam is trying to foster, the restoration and peace to all things within the world. So during one moment in the Gospels, Jesus is preaching on that very idea, and he tells a parable of a shepherd who has a flock of 100 sheep. And so Jesus, while speaking to a crowd of tax collectors and sinners, he shares this anecdote. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep. The shepherd knows his flock so well that he knows the difference between the flock of 100 and a flock of 99. He knows exactly what that looks like. And when he realizes that one of his sheep is missing, he leaves the 99. He leaves the group so that that sheep can be brought back into the fold. The flock was incomplete and couldn't be made whole until that sheep was brought back and reunited. It's a radical and reckless kind of inclusion. And it's the vision for the world that Jesus is trying to give us. He's asking us, he's asking you and me to see with his eyes. He's asking you and me to step into the shoes of the shepherd and do the work needed in order to bring that sheep back into the fold because that sheep matters.
took a breath You breathed your life in me You have been so, so kind to me this morning. So at our biological foundation, uh, our body is made up of a community of organs. It's, and our organs, they're made up of a community of cells. And then if we break down those cells, they're broken down into a collection of molecules and partic particles. And then get this, at the very foundation of everything, of all things, of all matter, from the hair on your head, to the cotton polyester blend on your shoulders, to the cement below your feet, all of it is made up of atoms. Isn't that wild? 
Now, I'm not convinced that the originators of the ancient Hebrew language and the modern physicists connected this and decided to help me bring this point home this morning, but isn't that quite a head-turning detail? That at the heart of all matter and at the beginning of all time, it's Adam. It's Adam's. It's Adam. And get this, when Adam's are separated, when they are individualized, when they're separated from from their matter, and we observe them, we notice them acting very, very strangely. In fact, all we really know is that they are. But when separated from another atom, an individual atom, they, they have no state of state. When it has no place to belong, an atom has no meaning. It's only when combined with another atom, just one other atom, that it takes its shape and finally Friends, who's missing? Who's wandering or wondering or suffering? It needs to be let in. The lost, the broken, the uninterested, that was me once. And there's plenty of days that it's still me. Yesterday was one of those days. But grace changes everything. And it will change our relationships, and in our communities, and in our world if we let it. So may you let it. May you let grace change everything. May you see past fear and find strength in the breath of life and the grace of God that leaves you together and leaves all things together. May your eyes be open and alert to those in the world, in your world, and in this world who need to be found. Who need to be reminded of their origin story and included in the story of grace that is continuing to unfold. It's God's story. It's our story. It's their story too. And grace and peace to the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, friends. We'll see you next week. Thank you for bearing with us, as we had some technical difficulties at the end of our recording. And again, thanks for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.